here's the point is that in this, it's like the father ultimately is going to present his daughter in absolute confidence that she's that he's guarded her honor and that he's laying that honor now at, at the hands of this husband to take things over. Because he's going to guard and he's going to carry that honor from this point forward. Now, excuse me. And that was without the mic on. <clears throat> and that's what Paul, and here's the interesting thing. That's the way a pastor feels when he's really a pastor worth his salt about his church. Paul's not just the apostle that kind of plants things and he's just kind of the guy setting up business. And then in setting up business, moving over to the next business merger, the next place to CEO. You see, here's the crazy thing. The church is not a product. And you're not a product. You're people. And Jesus calls you all by name. He died to give you dignity that you didn't have. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, filthy in our own emotional, horrible, sinful slime. And he went and took that whole stuff and he died on the cross and washed us with his blood. And he said, I'd rather die than live without you. And then the strange thing, he hands that gift to fallen, sinful men like me. And says, now go love them and guard their dignity. Now, Paul doesn't have the luxury of being with them all the time because he's going from place to place checking on these churches. It appears some of the men that he's left in charge have now drawn battle lines against him. But look at this again, what he says. He says, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy because I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. It's like, you know, I, I anticipated handing you to Jesus and saying, what a gift you're getting. I can confidently tell you that will happen with both of my girls. And as culturally incorrect as this may be, God puts a very huge value on virginity. And please don't tell me. Everybody's just going to do it, so you might as well. Because that's a lie. For what it's worth, in regards to marrying virgins and being virgins, just so you know, when Abraham, the father, sent a helper named God the Helper to go find a bride for his son, God makes special note in Genesis 24:16 and in 24:43 that she was a virgin. You would just assume it. God wanted to make clear that when the father looked for a bride for his son, the one who got her, God the helper, like we would say the Holy Spirit in that case, as we look at the, the metaphor transferring, found a virgin girl who, by the way, had an open heart to serve. Priests were required to only marry virgin girls. Leviticus 21, 13 through 14. If a person was deceived into believing that a girl was a virgin and married her, it was a legal issue, Deuteronomy 22. Israel is called the virgin daughter of Zion, 2 Kings 19.21, Isaiah 37.22, Lamentations 2.13. She's also called the virgin of Israel, Jeremiah 18.13, Jeremiah 31.4, 31.21, and Amos 5.2. The fact that a virgin is so important that she would be part of the prophecy 
for the Messiah, Isaiah 7.14. As you know, what a virgin will give birth, which we see then born forth in Luke 1.27. And some say, oh, well, doesn't that just mean a young girl, a maiden? Well, what miracle is that in that? God will give you this sign, this unusual event, a young girl will give birth. That's not really that unusual. But what is really weird is when a girl has never known a man and then gives birth. That is a bit strange. In Matthew 25, verse 1, what's clear is when a girl gets betrothed, that's that year between where she's, in essence, we might say engaged, but it was a lot more binding in those days. As a matter of fact, you try to get out of it after you being betrothed. You would actually have to get a divorce paper. That she is surrounded by a group of other virgins to guard her honor, her virtue. And it's not just an Old Testament concept. As a matter of fact, we'll see in Acts 21.9 that Philip has four virgin daughters who prophesy. Now, I'm not here to diss you, but let me just say this. He who is in Christ is a new creation. Now, I'm not trying to give you a pan out of this thing. But no matter where you've come from, you can lay all of that at the feet of Christ and he can make you brand new in here. And might I just say, like Jesus said to the woman caught in the act of adultery, go, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. If you really do believe God's given that back to you. No, guard your virtue. And don't let anyone start toying with something so precious. Because what's clear is, God puts a very high price on it because he really wants you to realize how pure he can make you. He doesn't give you a rinse off. He gives you a reinvention. So obviously we're not going to get through this whole chapter, huh? But Paul says, look, I, I, I would want to present you that way. Now let me ask you. And, Paul is, and in essence, Paul is now starting to like, you know that point where the guys start to puff up their chest and bump chests with each other and you know that that means that they're going to start fighting? That's kind of what Paul's doing verbally here with the people on the other side. And it's almost like Paul's going, yeah, what they got, what you got. This is my intent for you. Now, what do you think their intent for you is? Do you really think that's your intent? That they have your honor in mind? Do you really think that what they really intend in all of this is for your blessing and for your edification or for them to line their pockets? And he says this in verse 3, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted. Quick question if you look at the verse. Your mind may be corrupted from what? What does it say? The word is simplicity. And that's really the key here. The word's up, up by the way, the word's up protis. And the word literally means singleness. And I get that. When something is single, it's simple. If there's only one of something, it's pretty simple. And simple is right, by the way. We'll see that the people, by the way, in Acts 2.46 live their lives in simplicity of heart or singleness of heart for what it's worth. In 2 Corinthians, the letter that he wrote before this one, in one twelve, it says, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience is that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. I see that. I see, by the way, all the way in Colossians chapter 2, verse, um, verses 6 onward, he says, as you've therefore received Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now beware, he says, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, but not according to Christ. 
He goes, you know, men will do this. They'll try to make themselves sound smart and they'll play the tradition role or they'll play some form of world philosophy. But you know what you're going to sacrifice for that? This is what he says instead. For in him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Here are the two things that are going to happen. You start falling into that world of just simply tradition. And some of you know that world well. Are falling into the place, and this is the one that really hits today. If you're, I mean, either you're from a sort of a traditional background, and the tradition tends to be the chain that you could put on you, or you're in more of a contemporary Christian setting where the philosophies of the world can become the chain that you strap on you. But this is what you lose. What will happen is on one side, what you'll you'll start to think is that you'll start to think that Jesus isn't everything that he's cracked up to be. That he's sort of part God and something else needs to happen. And the other thing that will happen is you'll start to do this, but I'm not complete in him. I need this to be complete. From a traditional perspective, chances are it makes Jesus less because what will happen is you'll have Jesus, but also the guy that does the stuff behind the veil or the guy that waves the incense or the person or Mary or whatever it is. You'll add something else because that's what happens when you add tradition. It always has to be Jesus plus but that's what will happen there. And you'll say, well, no, 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 listen. In Him, the fullness of God dwells bodily. There's nothing lacking in Jesus. And if you want to play with the tradition, that's what you're going to chisel off. On the other side of it, you want to play with the philosophy route, the more contemporary way of doing things. And what I'll be saying, Jesus isn't enough. You know what I need? I need a mate. You know what I need? I need Jesus plus this worship experience. I need Jesus plus this Holy Ghost shake. I need Jesus plus whatever the thing is. And in both cases, you're selling Christ short. And you know what I've learned? And I look at—I don't think I'm the smartest sort of—I don't think I'm the brightest bulb in the chandelier. But I'm smart enough to know this: that if I've gotten to the point in my life where if it really confuses me, maybe it's not me. I mean, when I was younger, I used to think if I didn't figure it out, it's probably me. I'm just too daft to figure the thing out. And then I got to this point where I started realizing maybe sometimes, like, you ever watch a movie and you're like, that makes no sense. Wow, why are not getting it? And then you turn to someone else if you have the guts and say, are you getting this? And they're like, I'm not just talking about like Shakespeare where you don't get the language, because I actually love Shakespeare. But where you look at it and they're like, no. And it's like, maybe it's just poorly written. Maybe it's just confusing because it's just bad. Christianity is never supposed to be complicated. Our walk with Christ is not supposed to be complicated. Faith is supposed to override the things we don't understand because the things we understand are the most important things. And what he says is, look, I want to warn you that as Eve was led astray, and that takes us all the way back, by the way, to Genesis 3, 5, and please hear me on this, that when, when Eve was being tempted, I kind of get the idea this is more than just the concept of temptation, but it was the vehicle that he used. And everything kind of changes all of a sudden when I start to think that way. You see, here's the point. Is that God makes this guy, right? Forms him out of the ground. Everything else, by the way, from that point is about, which means, by the way, it speaks it and it comes out of nothing. It wasn't like God had parts and he put them together. There was nothing. This is the cool thing about God. He could take nothing and make stuff with it. He does really good with nothing. Which, by the way, is cool because if you think, I have nothing to offer God, and I think, great, he works great with nothing. But then God, but then God does something different with man. He forms him out of the dust of the ground. And it's a different word. It's a word used about potter shaping clay. And he forms the guy out of the ground. And as he does, now he breathes into him the breath of life. And he becomes a living being. And then he makes this helper. 
his Robin to him being Batman kind of idea for some of you. And, and with that, there's, but, but when we get to this temptation in, in Genesis 3, everything changes because the enemy never talks to the man. He only talks to the woman. And if I could just sort of play it on in a new dialogue, please, again, don't believe me in any of this. Search the scriptures. But are you, ever, are you ever tired of being number two? Tired of being the person in the back of the queue? Are you tired of being the helper? I mean, you're just as important. Are you tired of being less valuable? Overlooked? Underappreciated? And have you ever hear stuff like that? Don't you realize if you do this thing and you take the matters in your own hands, you'll be like God. Now, what do you think that means? You'll be at the front of the queue. You'll be number one. You could be the one. Are you tired of following don't you want to just have everybody look up to you, kind of like you feel like you're supposed to do to them? You know, we are all aware of the fact that God is going to give you, and most of us at one point or another, someone who's, that's a boss to you, that clearly doesn't know half of what you do, that's clearly so inept, you feel like you have to tie their shoes. And he's going to do that for us to actually show that we know how to submit to somebody. Because it's never about us being better or them being better. I guarantee you, coaching several different sports in life, one player is not as more important than another except for a certain moment. They're all just as important because often it takes five or six guys to set up a play. But what happens is maybe one guy gets to kick it or shoot it or do whatever. But in the end of it all, he wouldn't even have the ball to do it with unless somebody else got it to him. And in the end of it all, the team is what wins. He says, you know what? Just take a this. Come on, you can lead your man. You can be number one. And it worked. What was worse is that the man was right next to her and he never jumped in. Please hear me in this. This is the problem with church. Can I make it really simple? Lay down your life and pick up Christ's. That's everything. It's pretty simple. Now, the problem isn't how difficult to understand that is. The problem is how difficult to apply it is. To apply it is. Lay down your life and pick up Christ's. That's the complete opposite of how Eve was deceived. And that's what makes church suck. Is that we won't do it. I mean, think about what suck is. That just means you put your straw in something that had something and you're removing it and putting it in you. So people say, well, I, you know, I, if I give my life to Jesus, can I still be? I don't know. I'm not the one who's making that choice. He is. You have to be willing to give him right to remove everything and reinvent it, resurrect it, or completely leave it. Well, that's up to him. And if I don't lay down my life, I will never enter into this thing the way I should. And by the way, that makes ministry really dangerous. If I enter into it somehow, to just to suck from you. You lay down your life and you pick up Christ. That's pretty simple. Because that's what Jesus did, by the way. He laid down his life for us so that he could get us. And so the problem with the people that Paul is dealing with is that's completely opposite of their doctrine. See, Paul's doctrine is, don't you realize that's, I mean, what part of Paul is doing this for him? He's not even making a collection for his ministry. I mean, clearly, and we'll get into that next time, but he realized that Paul, when he was talking, he's like, don't you realize, I didn't even allow you guys to give to me. 
Because I knew where you guys were at. Now, chances are, a Corinthian church, I get this. Maybe some of them were drug dealers and some of them were prostitutes. And they were probably making pretty good money at it. But then they gave all of that up. And guess what happens? You have a poor church financially. But you have a very rich church in faith and rich in love because where there's much forgiveness, there's much love. And so what happens? I was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to work so hard at this thing. I'm going to make sure that you guys don't have to worry about a single pent of this whole thing. And he would collect from other churches. He would say it this way. I robbed other churches to serve you guys. Which, interestingly enough, these other guys were charging for everything. Their evangelical meetings, you had to pay to get in. And it got even crazier. You couldn't leave without buying a book or buying a CD or whatever the case was. You get the idea. And everything was for sale. And Paul will look and go, you guys are looking down on me because I didn't charge you. Don't you find that strange? That somehow in all of that, I'm the guy that's like, Looked down upon because I didn't make it. Let's be honest. You can go to some places and you could pay four pounds for a burger. And then you go to another place and pay 15 pounds for a burger. And if you close your eyes, you won't tell the difference. But if you don't, if you realize, once you pay 15 pounds, it better taste better. You tell yourself it tastes better because you paid 15 pounds for it. Here's a cup of coffee from the diner. It cost you less than a pound. And here's one from one of those places that has a name to it. Now, does it really taste six times better? Maybe to you it does. And that was kind of what Paul's playing on this. It's like, I'm not charging you guys. These guys guys are charging you when somehow that makes them better. You know why I'm not charging you? Because I love you. You know what love looks like? I'm laying down my life and picking up Christ's. It really is that simple. So listen to this. So he says here, <clears throat> but I fear lest, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Hey man, if this becomes complicated, I guarantee you there's too much man involved in it. Maybe too much you, too much someone else, but there's too much someone in it and not enough Jesus. I've learned, you know, when people go, ah, oh, why read his word? It's so complicated. You know, it really isn't if you actually just say, God, let me do what I'm supposed to do with it. You're like, but I don't understand this part or that part. Yeah, but the problem is you don't even realize how much you do get. And God's not going to tell you at all right now because, well, to be honest, there's certain things he wants to work on right now and he'll make those clear as you read his word. Man, I love it in this season while crazy things are happening that I can open up. And I've said this morning, Lord, what do you want to tell me? And as clear as day, he says, all right, Psalm 136. I go, okay, thank you. And I read Psalm 136 and it's like, here's the funny part. It's like this and this and this is every verse for his mercy endures forever. I'll give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. He created this thing, and the, his mercy endures forever. Oh, he created this thing. Mercy endures forever. He spoke it, came to be. His mercy endures forever. Sun during the day, mercy endures forever. Moon to rule the night, mercy endures forever. Oh, and then he did that whole thing with Egypt. Remember that? We took him out of Egypt, mercy endures forever. And then he like took down Pharaoh, mercy endures forever. Then he split the Red Sea, mercy endures forever. Then he took the, you know. And you know what happens when you start to read this? You don't even read the second half of the verse anymore. You're like, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, there's blah, blah, blah. But, but he's like, why do you think I have to say this so many times? Because you're missing the point. My mercy endures forever. And I can't wait to shower you with that mercy. I delight in mercy, says, by the way, God tells us in Jeremiah. I'm like, oh, well, that wasn't very complicated. It wasn't complicated at all. What's amazing is I'll shovel off this stuff that I seem to get so clearly to try to find something I don't get. And then I'll tell you I don't get it. It's like, what if I just sat and said, all right, Lord, you tell me and I'll do it. 
This is he who preaches, and here's where this closes today. We're going to get through four verses. Remember that whole word for simplicity? Do you remember what the word literally means? Singleness? Well, look at verse 4. You want to see something complicated? Three areas become unsingle. Did you notice that in verse 4? You tell me what those are. Take a look at it. Impress me. What things have become multiplied or plural that should be singular according to verse 4? Jesus, the Spirit, the Gospel. Bam, look at you guys. Now, was that difficult? Well, look at what it says. For he who preaches another Jesus. You know, what's really simple is when there's one Jesus. The one of the Scripture, the Lord and Savior of all mankind. Not just a way, but the way, the truth, the life. Really not very complicated. Unless you're like, but I believe that Jesus might have been an alien. I've heard him all. He had nanobots through his bloodstream, and that's what allowed him to do miracles. I, I can't even fathom how that could be true. I mean, I'm not just talking about how weird that would be anyways, but if you had nanobots in your body, how could you do miracles through that? And the moment I just read Scripture, it really does become quite simple. And the issue is not what I'm not going to get. It's what I'm going to do with what I do. Is he really Savior of my life? And is he really my Lord? Or am I trying to tell him what to do? You know when it becomes complicated? When I'm not willing to do what he tells me, which is to throw down my life and pick up his? When I do it selfishly, it will be complicated because I'm still trying to call him Lord, but trying to be Lord myself. That's pretty complicated. The simple parts, and do you know, like, you know what the, the simplest thing in the world is? A clean conscience. But for that to happen, I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm yours. Do with it as you wish. One Jesus. One Spirit. You know what the difference is? Whether I'm willing to throw it on my life and pick up Christ's or make it about me. Because if I throw it on my life and make it about Christ, His Holy Spirit's the vehicle to do all of that. It's quite simple. If it's all about me, the Holy Spirit becomes a tool for my personal gratification. And that's entirely different. That's really complicated. And the church is so split on the issue of the Holy Spirit predominantly because some don't want anything to do with them and some want everything to do with them in the sense that what they want is just me, 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 give me something, shake me, move me, make me spit, make me flip, make me do whatever, make me barf, make me freak out, whatever, as long as just don't leave me alone. And what happened, I'm not trying to pick on that. The point is this, is that if I'm willing to throw down my life and pick up Christ. God's Holy Spirit becomes very simple. You're the catalyst of intimacy. Drive me to the feet of Jesus. Bring to my remembrance the things that you've taught me. Remind me what Jesus said. Convict me of sin. What does that all have in common? It moves me to intimacy with Christ. That's the point. Hey, you want to give me the shakes? Fine, as long as it brings me to Christ. You want to pick me up, spin me around or whatever, make me speak in another language or whatever that I don't understand? Totally fine. As long as it brings me to Jesus, I'm cool with it. It's simple at that point because the end of it all is not my experience, but where I wind up, which is at the feet of Christ. That makes so much sense to me. It's so simple. All I have to do is lay down my life and throw down my life and pick up Christ's. And then the Holy Spirit becomes simple. Jesus becomes simple. He's my destination. The Holy Spirit, my vehicle. The Gospel... That's my roadmap. There's only one gospel. 
So let me make that clear and we'll close with this. We are all starting on the same place. Isn't that wonderful? Nobody has the inside track on this. Whether you were born in the house of Billy Graham or you were the son of the Pope or, and some of you would think that might be worse. Or, you know, like every room in your house was stained glass and you know the smell of incense from childhood and it's like church organ played at your birth, you know, or whatever. And maybe just, you know, on your, like, you had your quinceanera and Chris Tomlin did songs at that and, you know, and, you know, like you were circumcised and as you were, you know, they, they sang the hallelujah chorus, you know, with a 300 person choir, whatever. Or you were the person that used to beat up nuns and kick puppies and sell drugs to school children and whatever else. In the end of it all, no matter where we are, we're all broken. God only takes perfect and you'd say, well, that's not fair. Actually, it's totally fair because what that means is no loser goes to heaven sort of on a technicality. Let's face it, if you got like one problem and you bring it into my heaven, it ain't heaven anymore. So we all inherently know there's something wrong with us and that's why there are so many other people trying to make options. God so loved us and love was His motivation that He laid down His life to get us. He sent His Son, clothed Himself in flesh, died on a cross so that all of our sin could be properly punished, yours and mine alike. So whether you were the proud person in the stained glass, the judgmental person in the stained glass, or the violent pervert out on the streets, every sin was paid for at the cross. That's pretty simple. You don't have to go, well, what about this sin? All means all. Well, my sin's different than someone else's. Yeah, but it still fits under the category of all And when he died on the cross, it was paid for in full. Three days later, just as Scripture promised, he rose from the dead to give us a brand new life. This is what happens when you lay down your life, you get a new one. And then he says, will you let me be the Savior, that's the cross, and the Lord, that's the resurrection of your life. It's pretty simple. But if I come in with, well, you give yourself to Jesus and then you put this seed faith money in and you're going to get a new Bentley and you're going to get a new home. And, oh, you start looking at Chelsea right now. You better start moving to Chelsea on faith. You better move to Chelsea. But send your money in here for... I mean, it's like, that is complicated. It's just not the gospel. Or you do this and this and this and this and then maybe God will take you. Listen, my God's a good fisherman. He catches his fish and then he cleans them. That's the beauty. So... Here's our whole four verses. Paul's like, please don't get sucked up into this wide-gate, selfish Christianity because it's really not Christianity at all because it's not like Christ. I'm so concerned because I love you. I've given my life. I've thrown my life down and without looking back, There's no place to go back to. I've thrown my life down and I'm picking up Christ and I look at you with a very different set of eyes. Eyes that just want to guard your honor. That want to present you before Christ and say, here she is. She's awesome. But here's the problem. Eve dropped it with a me first mindset and these guys have come in and they want to do this me first mindset and everything gets complicated Everything gets mucked up. 
You don't even know what in the world's what. And I don't blame you. If that's what you've heard Christianity is, I don't blame you for wanting to be a part of that. Jesus didn't want to be a part of that. So maybe you've heard about all these different people that they're going to call Jesus. Was he a prophet? Was he just a kind person? Was he just this? He's God in the flesh who died on the cross and rose again. That's pretty simple. Maybe you've been around the church and you've seen the Holy Ghost Hour when people spin around and they do laps and they they slap each other and the warrior spirit and cluck like chickens because the spirit of the chicken. I've been around all of that stuff. Looking for angel feathers and angel sweat. I've been around it all. If it doesn't lead you to the feet of Christ, I don't want it. It's a diversion. And it's quite simple. There's only one gospel, but you've got to do something with that. You've got to say yes or no. So as we go to prayer, beloved, obviously we'll move into this next week about what the results of all of this are too because that will be the next part of our text. I think God's doing some cleaning in our hearts right now because it's so easy to get convoluted. Maybe you grew up in the church or maybe you're still relatively new, but you've been around things and it's like, I'm not telling you Shoreline Calvary is the thing. I'm just telling you we get to be a part of the thing, but please don't get sucked up into that me first stuff. And you can get it so many places. You'll get it everywhere in the world, but you should get it nowhere in the church. Because, man, I, it's hard enough for me to seek to die to myself. I, I don't want you guys to encourage me to do otherwise. Because you know what will happen? You'll get ripped off because you need to be loved by somebody that isn't about themselves. Because we're supposed to be representing Jesus to each other, and that's what he's all about. So as we go to prayer, can I just ask, have you said yes to that gospel, to that Jesus? If you're hot and bothered about that right now, God's Holy Spirit's at work. Remember, his whole point's to bring you to Jesus. So it's not me that's bothering you now. It's him. You want to get that over with? Simple. Let's just say yes together tonight. Let's say yes to the one Jesus, Lord Shepherd, God's perfect sacrifice. Let's, God hold, let's let God's Holy Spirit be the vehicle to take us to Jesus. This gospel's been shared. That's our roadmap. And let's walk out of here tonight saying, God, let's make this simply you and us. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. I mean, clearly, Lord, there's so much in this scripture. And thank you that we didn't go so far that our brains just oozed out of our heads. But Lord, thank you that you got what needed to be said to us tonight. And, and Lord, I do believe that. I am so thankful for what you're doing. And I am asking, Lord, tonight for my precious brothers and sisters in here and myself as well. Lord, uh, I've got to confess to you, Lord, I, I know that ideologically, in concept, Lord, this is what you want. And I'd love to say that my practice in every way revolves around it, but I don't wake up in the morning some mornings and maybe even most mornings with, with uh, you or others on my head. Now, I thank you that lately that's been a lot more the case. And I, and I just pray, Lord, as you continue to slay me and raise up, Lord, somebody that looks like you. That, I mean, you've just, God, what you've done this week has been nothing short of miraculous. And it's just been so beautiful to just be intimate and... and it's just like from the Israel trip to this week, just how it's just been like being on a honeymoon with you all over and fresh with you. And, and Lord, I want to thank you that 
you do make us new creations in the sense, Lord, that I can look at you and realize you are the guardian of my dignity, my honor. You're the lifter of my head, as the psalmist would say. David would know the, the disgrace and the, the necessity of having his head lifted. And the psalmists would know this need as we do. To not just try to make it look like it didn't happen, but to literally cover and remove and wash clean and to pay for it, to permanently resolve our shame so that we really could have dignity and honor. Something that some of us may not have known for so long. And so I pray here for us tonight. I pray before we even go to that place of choosing this Gospel. I pray for those who have already made claim to it. And I do pray, Lord, for the men in our fellowship, the men that make claim to You that we be guardians, Lord, of dignity. That we put our girls in no position for people to even feel like they have a viable reason to create a rumor about it. Lord, that we would go way out of our way to make these girls know and not just the girls that we would, you know, the, the girls that, that we would seek to partner with, but Lord also, just every sister in this, in our flock, every sister in our family, that we would treat them with honor and seek to be those guardians. And I pray, Lord, for the women in our fellowship that, that they would be, they would see the high price and value in that dignity and honor. And we as a church, as your bride, would see the dignity, the importance and value of that dignity and honor. And the glory of your simplicity. One Jesus. One Spirit. One Gospel. So Lord, we don't want to convolute who you really are and try to make you get behind us. We recognize we need to follow you if we're going to call You Lord. Because we want to lay down our lives to pick up Yours. We don't want Your Holy Spirit to be somebody to serve us in the perspective that what we're looking for is some form of experience. Or, But first and foremost, Lord, the very vehicle to lay down our lives and pick up Yours. We don't want to adhere to some form of doctrine that puts us at the front of the queue but rather to lay down our lives and pick up yours. It's quite simple. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that you would purify what's been impure, that you would make simple and single what has become duplicative. Put us where we need to be. And I pray, Lord, with that in mind, if there be any or many who are not sure or are sure that they haven't ever said yes to this gift of Jesus, his offer of payment for our shame and guilt. His resurrection to become Lord of our lives. To be the reinventor, the architect of our reinvention. Well, tonight, Lord, if there be anyone in this room or within the sound of this voice, convict their hearts right now. And as I pray this prayer right now, I ask you to listen. And at the end, if you agree, I ask for you to give a confident and resounding Amen. What you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer, so be it in my life. And this is the prayer. God in heaven, 
I confess to you, I'm a sinner. I don't need to lie about this. I'm not perfect or pure. I've been careless with that which you've given me, even in dignity and honor. And you as a righteous judge have the right to punish all wrong. But you were led by love. And in being led by love, you saw a way to be righteous and merciful at the same time. And you sent your Son, your only begotten, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross so that all of my sins could be properly punished. Since he had none to pay for, he gladly took mine. And there my crimes were punished. Every crime of my heart. And just like you promised, he rose again on the grave, from the grave the third day. And now offers to be the leader of my new life. My reinventor. And so I recognize to say yes to Jesus is more than just saying, give me a, get me a, get out a hell free card. But rather, choosing to lay down the life as I know it for you to make an infinitely better thing. In the simplest sense, God, I'm laying down the sort of crack house of my life for you to build a cathedral. And I don't want to give you direction. I would rather just give you surrender. So here I am. I'm yours. If you really want me, you can have me. I accept this gift and declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And in this prayer, I pray in His name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say with me, Amen.